Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Shona Elmer. Today, I wanted to get a bit of a 101 on investing in alternative assets. Travis Miller is the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of iPartners, an Australian platform founded in 2017 to give better access to alternative investments. Since then, iPartners has raised more than $2 billion in investor funds. Travis, welcome to Fear and Greed. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. So, give me a definition of an alternative asset. There are many definitions of alternative assets out there. Yeah. I find it's better as far as a definition to explain what it's not. Yep. I think when people look at traditional assets, they'll look at you know buying or selling equities, buying or selling bonds and some cash and traditional uh, funds. Alternative assets is pretty much everything else. It's the kind of assets you access. If you go to a standard financial planner and you walk out with the balanced portfolio, in what they're offering, they tend to not be offering alternative assets. So the best way to think of it is everything else, an alternative to the traditional asset set that an average investor would have in their portfolio. So it's everything outside of local equities, international equities, cash, bonds effectively. Yeah, and just think, yeah, traditional fixed income, so over-the-counter bonds, exactly right. If you think of everything else, that is what an alternative asset is, and it's very broad. Arguably, it's the largest asset class that exists because it's literally everything else. So do real assets, things like property and infrastructure, fit into that alternative asset definition? Yeah, absolutely. I think resi property, you know, your own house, people would probably put that in the traditional bucket, but everything else. So investing in residential property developments, investing in commercial property, industrial property, uh, investing in infrastructure, um, various things like that, absolutely. So real assets would fit into uh, the alternative asset bucket. So I want to get into the particular specifics in a moment, but how big is that alternative asset class? You said arguably it's the biggest of the lot. I suppose it encompasses lots of things. How big is it and is it growing? It's definitely growing. I think the best way to think about it is is an asset allocation in a traditional portfolio. I would say a traditional portfolio would have in the range of 2 to 5% allocation to alternative assets. And again, arguably, that should actually be higher towards 15 to 20%. The Future Fund, for example, has a long-term investment horizon. In the last update they did, they looked to have about 30% in their portfolio. So obviously, it depends on the type of client and the investment horizon and various things. But you would argue that current allocation to alternative assets is quite small. And then just simply increasing that towards a 10% allocation would have a huge impact on you know, investor exposure to alternatives. The traditional investor in alternatives really is that institutional investor, that investor that's got a whole investment team with time to analyse the entire universe of possible investments they could allocate their money towards. Okay, so mostly it's institutional money, but retail investors can get into it via taking units in funds and invest in alternative investments. Is that right? That's one of the uh, more traditional ways of getting exposure. So I'd say that's the traditional way to access alternative assets. And the way that's occurring is that gives uh, investor exposure to a very small pocket of what's available in that alternative asset space. But absolutely, in an asset allocation, investing in fund managers that have a tilt towards alternatives is absolutely one way to get some of that exposure. Okay, so if we go through some of the different assets within alternative assets, and we'll start with property because you mentioned that outside resi, so it's industrial, office and retail, they're the typical ones, are they? 
Yeah, that's about right. Yep. Okay. And I suppose the pros and cons of investing in those sorts of assets as against resi property, because I think we all understand residential property really well. Yeah. I mean, with the West, one way to think about it is property. There's two key ways you can take exposure to property in the alternative space. One is you can take an equity exposure. So you can outright buy physical equity in the property. So buy industrial properties, yep. buy retail properties. Buying a building, basically. Yeah, so just outright equity. The other way that's very popular is taking a debt exposure to those assets. And so just think of a, a property owner traditionally would go to a bank and say, look, can you give me some money? I want to purchase this industrial property. Um, but banks often take a long time to get approvals through. If you don't fit their criteria, then you're not going to get a loan. And so there's an entire market to lend money to property owners to purchase effectively assets or develop assets. And that's for investors looking for a yield of fixed income. You would take a debt exposure on property rather than equity exposure on property. So both of those are quite common in the alternative asset space. Okay. And that private debt area obviously goes well beyond property. And I mean, I know there's stories around last week about super funds, you know, lending directly to big businesses as a way of finding returns for all the money they've got at the moment. So that sort of goes much broader than just property then. Yeah, so when you look at debt, it can literally be over sort of any asset class. So you could be taking a senior secured debt position over a property, could be a senior secured position over a operating company, um, it could be over an infrastructure asset, it could be over an agricultural asset. You know, being a debt provider in replacing that traditional lender, which was the bank, uh, is very common and growing at a rate of knots and literally focused on filling the gap where banks are either exiting or banks are just too slow or too awkward to deal with to, to achieve the objectives that a borrower is looking for. Stay with me, Travis. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Travis Miller, CEO and co-founder of iPartners. Okay, another couple that I just want to mention, you mentioned then agriculture. So yeah. that's an alternative investment. What are you talking about when you're talking about investing in agriculture? Yeah, so I got, agriculture, I break into roughly three buckets. So you have the real land. So just going and you know, buying a farm that has various things that happen on it, whether it's you know, an operating business where it's cattle, grain, all sorts of different things. So you could buy the land or you can actually lend money to the owner of the land, again, replacing the traditional lenders in that space. Or you could provide agri-finance. And so just think of providing finance to the farmer for them to buy additional cattle to sit on their farm or to plant some grain for the upcoming crop. So there's across that agri sector, again, there's that you can take an equity exposure, you can take a debt exposure, you can invest in operating businesses where you effectively can own the land and the operating business, but you can actually segregate the two. So maybe you invest in an operating business that, you know, runs cattle on the land, but they may not actually own the land, so they may be leasing it. So it's all of the sorts of business and um, finance that occur across other sectors of the market. It's really just focusing on the agri-sector and taking exposure to a specific bucket. And the other one I just want to ask about is private equity. We hear lots about private equity investing in Australian companies, but as an investor, you can invest in private equity companies who do those investments. Exactly right. Yeah. So there's, I mean, when I look at 
private equity. I just look at equity in companies. I think people look at private equity as the the big ticket items when you know private equity firms comes in, takes a controlling stake, puts someone on the board, and you know provides advice and helps in operating that business. But when you look at equity in private companies, so companies that are not listed, there's a whole range of stages, right? You have that angel phase which you can invest in and sort of just hope the company goes well because it's very early stage. And then you have the seed stage when the company's got a bit of a proof of concept doing okay, a little bit lower risk because they've established themselves. And then you get to that growth sort of VC stage when companies starting to get established, need a bit of equity capital to continue growing. Uh, And then you get to that later stage, more strategic, and I think that's what people would consider private equity when the business has got sort of positive, you know, making a profit, reasonably established, just looking for some advice and additional equity capital. But effectively, it's just literally taking an equity position in an unlisted company, and that can be at various stages of that company's, you know, evolution from an absolute seed angel stage to quite established, progressing towards actually IPOing and listing. Okay, so what I've sort of learned in the last 10 minutes or so is just the huge variety of investments that you can make well outside the traditional equities fixed income cash areas. What are the key benefits of alternative investments and what are the key risks? Yeah, I think the key benefit is control. Uh, If you go and buy a listed equity, you're literally just buying the listed equity and you have limited control of the outcome of your investment. In private markets, you typically have greater access to management. You have greater access and control over the documentation processes and the clauses. If things are going wrong, you can step in and try and um, remediate uh, at an earlier stage in the process. So it really is that control. What is evolving now and has always been missing for the average investor is access. Yep. Traditionally, alternative assets have been all about the institutional investor. Now with platforms a bit like iPartners, investors can access in smaller increments and effectively get a seat at the table and expose assets they historically could never get access to. Okay, and, and presumably diversifies your investment portfolio as well. Yeah, and, and so that's, yeah, the traditional sort of, you know, diversification benefits and low correlations. You're adding a, there's an entire asset class that doesn't sit in most investors' portfolio. Yeah. By adading that asset class or a spread of those asset class, you improve the diversification in your portfolio. But you also can improve the risk return outcomes by adding low correlation uh, assets that have a sort of return profile different to your existing portfolio, which can lower the risk across the entire investments. Okay. What about the key risks? Presumably they're not as liquid, not as tradable as an equity, for example. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I think in private markets, you, investors benefit from taking illiquidity risk and they benefit from taking complexity risk. And they benefit from there's a scarcity of capital. But you're benefiting from those elements. But then you've also got to take the flip side of that. It is illiquid, right? So if you want to get out of this asset, invest today, you want to get out tomorrow, it's often quite difficult because they tend to be longer maturity. Uh, The investments can be more complex. So you need to spend more time educating and understanding uh, the investment and the asset class. Um, But the risks are very similar in all investments, right? So you invest in debt. If that company borrower doesn't repay you, then you can lose some money. You invest in equity, company doesn't perform, the value can go down. But the illiquidity is a key one in alternative assets. 
And also this, the complexity element is also key. They're two um, main things that I'd be thinking about in considering the risks. Fantastic, Travis. Thank you very much for talking to us this morning. You've just given a great 101 on alternative investments. I'm going to go to iPartners and now check it out. Right. Good on you. We're not a financial planning. We don't offer advice. Go and see someone, any listener out there, speak to your own financial planner. But uh, certainly as an asset class, it's worth considering. So thank you this morning, Travis, for talking to us. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time and uh, getting me on the show. That was Travis Miller, CEO and co-founder of iPartners. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day. 